Hey, what's up? This is Angela and Leslie from uh, Slam Dunk. We're from Canada. You're listening to KUCI in Irvine, and we're going through the tubes. The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show, go to KUCI.org. Hello, hello. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My name is DJ Broca, and this is the sixth episode of Pills, Easy to Swallow Stories in Medicine. I'm really excited today because I have a guest with me. Um, he is the founder of a international nonprofit called Pendulum Global. Uh, I'd like to welcome to the program Sahil Agarwal. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, so thank you so much for coming here. Um, a little bit about um, your yourself first, and then also a little bit about your uh, um, nonprofit. Yeah, sure. So uh, like Druba was saying, my name is Sawhill, and uh, I'm actually a classmate of Druba's at uh, the UCI School of Medicine. And uh, oh, can you? Yeah. Can you All right, know? there. Uh, say something yeah. can you hear me now a little bit closer can you hear me now yeah that's that's getting better okay. one more time can you try can you hear me yeah. now yeah okay <laughs> all right sounds great uh yeah so uh my name is sawhill and uh i'm actually a classmate of drubas at the uci school of medicine um you mean dj broca yes like yeah. the anonymous yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Uh, and uh, actually, uh, I, I, I'm originally from the Bay Area, and I went to college in Virginia. Uh, and while I was while I was in Virginia, I got involved with a lot of the work that UNICEF does. And so, you know, UNICEF is the United Nations Children's Fund, and the idea of the organization was uh, to help children around the world get through difficult circumstances, uh, mostly issues related to survival. And so I uh, was one of the co-founders of our uh, chapter of UNICEF in Virginia. And uh, from that, I, I had an opportunity to, to go to conferences uh, at the U.S. Fund for UNICEF, as well as uh, to really get, get, get into sort of tune on what it takes to run an, an organization. And so at the time, I had um, you know, visited a seminar at one of the conferences, and it was about how a lot of adolescents do not have opportunities uh, to be empowered um, you know, throughout whatever circumstances they may be experiencing. So there's a lot of aid organizations that go into countries and they provide some sort of relief effort, uh, mostly in the form of uh, tangible resources, uh, food, water, uh, oftentimes in education. So basics of survival, but oftentimes there isn't an opportunity for the children to uh, sort of develop like normal children. And that can have nor, uh, you know various sort of ramifications in the in their futures. And so part of the reason why I founded Pendulum Global was to to find a sort of way to empower these adolescents around the world. And we started with um, HIV-positive adolescents in Swaziland, Africa, because there's a lot of social stigma that surrounds HIV infection and how uh, adolescents who are infected, whatever their cause may be, um, how they interact within their communities. And so the idea was really to um, find that means. And so what Pendulum Global does today is uh, we pair mentors 
in the United States with HIV-positive adolescents in Africa uh, for a year-long uh, exchange of letter writing and our, our volunteers are trained through a webinar training series that, that we create every year um, and so yeah it's been it's been going great and, and this year so you become like a pen pal with uh, somebody exactly in Swaziland. exactly yeah. so you know we we formally call it you know a digital pen pal a digital mentorship program but in essence it's a it's a pen pal program that um, allows us to you know digitize our writing and send it over to a clinical partner in Swaziland and then they print out the letters and distribute it to to the kids there and so it's great because um, it's not only a kind of a benefit to the adolescents because they they have a mentor who can they can share their their feelings their thoughts their fears with and get you know professional advice for their futures but it's also an opportunity for the mentors to get a little bit of a flavor in uh, in international development that they may not be able to get otherwise as college students or young adults. Yeah, what's the age group of the um, kids in Swaziland that year? So, talking? so the age range. So we started our first uh, pilot program in uh, July of 2015. It's going to last for about a year, and so the average age, um, you know, the range is uh, anywhere from around 13 to 23. So we're targeting. Um, you know, children, like adolescents. and uh, yeah, the adolescent population. There's a lot of different definitions, but really, the idea is we're targeting these uh, younger populations of of individuals who will eventually form the framework of the countries that they're in. And so, the idea is for for this program is to help create more HIV tolerant leaders in communities. I see, I see. And why did you pick Swaziland when you were going to? I mean, of course, the incidence of HIV is probably high there. Yeah. Um, um, so, so one of the core reasons is is in fact because uh, you know in the early two thousands it was uh, it was found that Swaziland has one of the highest HIV prevalence rates in the world, and we know from a lot of research that. Uh, developing nations that have high HIV prevalence rates, they they oftentimes also suffer from high stigma rates, and that's going to influence mm. the way that um, these adolescents function in their communities and interact with their communities, and the opportunities professionally that will be available to them as they as they grow into adults. I see, I see. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the ways to kind of just like stigma is like a very interesting thing, I guess, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you expect the result of this? And I and I feel like sometimes stigma exists, maybe because people don't have a, enough of a global view of how people look at it. Like I feel like stigmas often exist within communities, mm-hmm. which don't make sense to like outside worlds because it's like a very artificial thing, right? Well, you know, in in a lot of communities. Uh, it's really been found that stigma, and you know, this applies to a lot of different kinds of disease stigma, but specific to HIV, it often has to do with the fact that a um, the the stigma is associated with behaviors that are considered to be uh, sort of taboo in those communities. So mm. in terms of HIV, it's you know we're talking about uh, unsafe sex, we're talking about unclean needle use, uh, you know drug use in general. And so you know in a lot of adolescence cases, that's that's not what the situation is. Right. The situation is that they were born born right. with it um, because their mothers did not necessarily have regular access to medications. So you know so unfairly, par- I guess. I mean, it, not to say the stigma is fair to begin with, mm-hmm. but. Like they really had no choice in the matter. Exactly, exactly. And you know what? What kind of propagates the stigma further is community members oftentimes are not. You know, they may they may or may not know very well how 
HIV is transmitted, but more importantly, because of a lack of a sort of cohesive education, these these community members don't know how HIV is not transmitted. And that often leads to um, sort of exaggerative behaviors um, that are going to be precautionary. So not allowing the the HIV positive individual to come at social events, mm-hmm. not allowing them to to use the same utensils or glasses or blankets or, you know, things that we know, you know, in a, in a well-educated a society that, that HIV does not transmit through those means. And so that's why, you know, part of the reason why the stigma is there. And so the idea is uh, we want to give these adolescents the opportunity to sort of develop into leaders and try to try to tackle some of the the stigmatizing aspects of HIV infection. So at the end of the year-long program, we give these adolescents the opportunity to do some sort of service project. And so we invest in um, a couple projects that that the adolescents think will benefit their communities. And some of the projects that we're thinking of lately are, um, you know, HIV education programs, like little, little curriculum curricula that these adolescents can present to their families, to their community members, uh, to help them recognize how HIV is transmitted, but more importantly, how HIV is not transmitted. Has, uh, has it gone through a year and have you seen these program or these, uh, presentations? So we started in July of 2015. And so the, the first program is going to end this July. And wow. so we still got we still got a few months left, um, and we're hoping to start the uh, the the actual service projects soon after with with this first uh, cohort of cohort, adolescents. Yeah. yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. How many people are uh, involved with this? So in terms of the the adolescents, we have ten adolescents who we've started out with in Swaziland, mm-hmm. um, and then we have ten, obviously ten mentors here in the U.S. as well. Um, we are a very small team for Pendulum Global. Everyone works as uh, a volunteer. So mm-hmm. in addition to myself, uh, there are four other team members. And then we have uh, an advisor who works with UNICEF and who helped create a connection uh, for us in Swaziland so that we could um, have a point person and a point location where we could deliver those letters. Right. And then this year we... Um, uh, you know, hopefully later in the summer, we're going to start a program in the Philippines um, to help empower uh, girls uh, to to really facilitate um, their their interest in um, higher level careers and higher education. Because oftentimes, uh, as you as you may know, in uh, in developing regions, there's you know less of an emphasis on uh, girls taking over um, higher level careers or pursuing higher levels of education. And so the goal is to pair these girls with um, women mentors in the United States, professional women in the U.S., so that they can learn about uh, some of the routes that they might take and some of the advice, uh, some advice they can receive. And um, at the end of that program, we're you know after you know maybe 2017, we're hoping to. Um, invest in some sort of project that they can also do these girls in the Philippines, mm-hmm. maybe some sort of uh, self-sustaining small company that they can use to uh, empower women in their community. I see. So when you, you said that the um, people who communicate like here in the U S mm-hmm. or wherever um, who are writing to the kids, yeah. these communities, they go through a webinar for uh, training purpose. Um, do you encourage the people in that training to kind of write with this intention in mind, kind of guide the their pen pals towards these goals? Or is it much more freeform? Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is an interesting, it's an interesting question that we asked ourselves um, when we were creating the webinar training series, because this sort of digital exchange hasn't occurred before. 
and we there hasn't really been a longitudinal program uh, of this type and so our idea was to uh, use literature that is out there that describes topics that mentors should discuss with mentees to foster cognitive development emotional development self-identity development um, and and put them in the letters in a free-form manner. So, for example, um, you know, uh, if an adolescent brings up um, aspects about, hey, you know, one day I actually want to be a doctor and give back to to my community. Mm -hmm. So then the the mentee would uh, provide a response that would facilitate the adolescent to think more about that future career. So questions like, um, so do you have a mentor who can help you in your community to get to where you need to be, and if not, you know how can I help you to to, to find that mentor? I see. So it's kind of practically minded. It's not just kind of blank uh, encouragement, but exactly how much have you thought through it, and can like what can I do to help? Exactly. Very so you know, and and we have somebody who is um, working directly in in community service. So his responsibility is to help identify local organizations in Swaziland that these adolescents can kind of work with to fulfill whatever uh, their their personal motives are in their lives, as well as to contribute to those service projects that I was talking to you right. about earlier. Because so. sometimes you're not even aware of all the resources in exactly. your own community. Exactly. Right. Right. So I I think this is very interesting because it also gets into to kind of um, this, um, um, well, if, if you've ever heard that phrase, uh, think globally but act locally, yeah. right? So um, I guess w- one way to interpret that phrase is to say, you know, do a lot for your community. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly this is very beneficial, but like when you went to establish this global nonprofit, what drew you to that rather than doing something I'm sure in your community also would have been, you know, equally helped by your, you know, ambition and your yeah. drive? You know, I think, uh, so I've attended a lot of different conferences and this topic of discussion comes up a lot and there's a lot of heated discussion about it. You know, should should individuals be helping out their own communities or should they, um, you know, not necessarily be allowed, but should you know? Should they try to pursue global opportunities? And there's kind of a phrase that everyone brings up that sums it up, and it's it's what they tell you when you're on an airplane. One of the first things they tell you when you, you sit down is, you know, if there's an issue with the airplane and the uh, oxygen masks come down, you got to help yourself before you help the person next mm. to you. And yeah. that that is uh, oftentimes the uh, the discussion point that starts that conversation that mm-hmm. you're bringing up. And you know, I think. Um, Part of the reason why I personally got more involved with uh, international affairs was just because it was something I was interested in and something I was exposed to as an undergraduate student. So, um, you know, I, I, like I said earlier, I did a lot of work with UNICEF where the theme of, of the, the campus chapters is, in fact, think globally, Global. act locally. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we would do a lot of local activities and we would help you know, educate community members about global topics and the funds we raise would go globally. And, um, you know, just from from personal interest and I guess uh, just exposure, that became my personal interest in seeing how we can help out global communities. Um, I think from a more objective standpoint, um, it, it is true that, you know, we should definitely be helping out the folks in our own community. But I also think it is extremely valuable for us to help out other communities that are less fortunate than us. So, for example, um, in in 
when we, when we look at how surgeries are done in the U.S., right, there's a lot of different tools mm-hmm. and there's a lot of different uh, instruments and procedures and there's a lot of different people involved. Uh, but if you go to a developing country where, you know, oftentimes there's one surgeon per uh, potentially several hundred square miles and there's not very many resources, surgeries are done quite differently. So by, by you know, us having, you know, getting involved in global communities and not only giving to those global communities, but learning from those those communities, right. we can actually help improve the way. So in this example, how, how we can efficiently do our own surgeries, how we can reduce mm-hmm. costs on our end as well. And I think it also, it's also important to kind of bring up that, you know, in the United States, for example, we do have a healthcare system. There is, you know, there is for, you know, some people, um, and, and before it was for a lot of people, but now it's, now it's less so, but nonetheless, there are lots of people who don't necessarily have an easy access to the healthcare system. But you have to look at it kind of in terms of the, the other end of the spectrum. If we look at um, developing nations, healthcare in, in many regions just doesn't exist. It's not an it's not an issue of uh, you know somebody you know not not having insurance or uh, not not being able to see a physician for for whatever sort of logistical reason. It's simply that there is no physician that is nearby. And logistics so, be damned. Right? Exactly right. Exactly. So you know the the issue becomes um, the, the situation in developing nations is oftentimes so dire that um, it's important for us to at least think about and contribute to those communities to some extent and and really that you know it's it's not that we shouldn't be helping people in the united states i think i think both of the arguments are valid we should be helping ourselves but we should also be thinking uh thinking globally as well because uh we're all people and uh everyone deserves the same basic human rights of you know food clean water uh basic health care and uh it's almost infuriating that there are communities where those those sort of uh, those basic necessities aren't don't even exist. Mm-hmm. Very well articulated. Uh, I'm talking here with Sahil, who is the co-founder of Pendulum Global. Um, he's been telling us about his nonprofit. Um, could you also tell us kind of what the goals are coming up? You mentioned that you want to expand to the Philippines, and <laughs> then there you want to start a project uh, for. Uh, young girls who yeah. would be entrepreneurial and have maybe a business going and things yes. like that. Yeah. So, so in addition to kind of expanding our our mentorship model, uh, we are also trying to focus on on really two other aspects. Um, one of them is is that webinar training series that I was talking to you about. So initially, we wanted our our webinar to focus on just the volunteers who are going to become mentors, and it would serve as their sort of training curriculum. Now, what we believe we can achieve, and we've put in um, individuals and uh, uh, sort of ideas and resources towards the towards this this notion, is that we can be an organization that creates a humanitarian education. Because if you think about uh, you know the kind of education people receive here, you know, in high school and in college, there are very few majors and there's very few classes that you can take where you learn about what are some of the hard issues surrounding providing, for example, clean clean access to water in global communities. Um, and what are some of the potential solutions? Um, and, and, and the idea behind this is if we can kind of create this sort of online 
curriculum and humanitarianism, we can actually spark leaders here in the United States and hopefully in other countries as well who watch these videos to start to take action. Um, what, you know, one of my uh, yeah, uh, sort of role models is uh, the CEO of the U.S. Fund for UNICEF, and she wrote a book where she talked about among all the different factors that can help in help developing nations and help survival of children and mothers and families abroad the biggest factor that is going to to make that change is education because without an education we we can't we can't function so for example um uh you know it it, it really kind of brings into this interdisciplinary aspect that everyone needs to have and that's kind of the reason why we're doing this 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 webinar training series for instance it's it's to really cultivate a sort of interdisciplinary uh perspective that students here in the United States can have as they sort of progress into uh, into their careers. Very awesome. It sounds like you have a lot of work ahead of you, <laughs> but like exciting, it's definitely exciting, exciting times. Yeah. If um, other students, so in the end, I'll definitely give you a moment to sure. tell anyone who's interested in getting involved where they can go. Mm-hmm. Um, could you also though, because you've had this experience from the time you were in an undergrad student, mm-hmm kind of um, explain to listeners who might be interested in starting their own nonprofits at whatever stage of life they're at, kind of some concrete things that you've learned through the process. Definitely. Um, I think the number one thing, um, and and I actually mentor a few people who are trying to start their own nonprofits, and there is a consistent theme among those who actually end up making their nonprofit into a, a true organization that is that is that is making a difference versus uh, somebody who just kind of falls off and just ends up not pursuing it and it's writing down your idea and hmm. it's a simple concept but everyone has ideas everyone has these cool ideas that you know wherever they are they suddenly pops into in their the mind often. in the shower you know whatever whatever you might be doing you come up with this idea what makes a difference between those who who end up being successful with ideas and those who don't end up pursuing them is writing it down. Because when you start writing down your ideas, you start putting things to paper, then you can start to articulate your thoughts into something that seems practical. So I think that the first thing, the first step is to write down your ideas and start doing research on those ideas. Everyone has internet these days here. Um, it's very it's very easy to, to access information to see if existing organizations are already doing this work um, and what kind of difference and contribution can you make. And uh, keep kind of keep like a little folder. I have a little folder with, uh, you know, papers that I find and I just, you know, shove them, shove them in the in the binder and I read them when I have the time. Um, so keep developing the idea and keep writing down ideas. And so that that's the first thing. And then this, the, the second thing is um, to really uh, find opportunities where you can showcase that idea, not only as, you know, from a financial standpoint, so you can get funds for your idea. But when you share your idea with other interested individuals, then you potentially have the opportunity to receive feedback. And when you receive feedback, then you can fine tune your idea. And so, so what we did is, uh, so we kind of came up with the conceptual framework for the organization uh, in late 2013. And so after that, we we applied to uh, the Clinton Global Initiative University Conference. And the idea was, 
of this organization was to get students to write down their ideas. Like I said, write everything down, write down your ideas and submit those, those commitments to action is what they called them. And then if you get accepted to the conference, you get to showcase your idea and you get to meet with other individuals who are interested in, you know, making, making a greater good to the world. And it's, you know, it can be, it could be one person trying to develop um, a, a sustainable energy source versus someone like us who is just trying to develop a digital mentorship program. So a wide variety of people come together together and what that does is it allows you to discuss your idea with others and receive feedback not just from your peers but from the people who organize the event and the people who oftentimes have very good experience in international affairs or in nonprofit development and i think that that's probably the second step and then of course finding that team finding people who are really just as passionate about the project as you are and uh, making sure there are clear lines of communication within the team. I think those are probably the three, the three things to do. Yeah. Very nice. And it helps to be such a great communicator. Um, (laughs) You've certainly um, learned a lot from Sahil Agarwal, the co-founder of Pendulum Global. Um, You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Uh, This show is called Pills. It's on every Tuesday from 4 to 4 30 uh next coming up is good grief with bear or uncle sadra i don't know what he's going with now (laughs) but um that's coming up so stay tuned uh sahil why don't you end it by telling anyone who's listening who's interested in getting involved with pendulum global where they should go to hear more about it sure so our our website is www.pendulumglobal.org p-e-n-d-u-l-u-m global.org and um, there are lots of opportunities we're looking for people who can get involved in an administrative leadership capacity and we're also looking for volunteers for our philippine program and we'll be expanding our swaziland program this year so once again it's pendulumglobal.org visit us you can shoot us an email all our contacts Contact informations on the website. Awesome. And if you follow the Twitter um, or Facebook group for this show, the Facebook group being Pills and the Twitter being for the handle at DJ Broca, B R O C A, we'll put up that contact information there as well so you can get it from that. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in and have a great afternoon. Thank you.